You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. Anxiety is a powerful emotion. I don't know if you've experienced a lot of anxiety lately. I know I'm, I'm not a particularly anxious person. This is not something that's been a particular thing that I've had to face. But I remember a particularly vivid experience of being anxious and overwhelmed that happened about five years ago. See, for some reason, I don't know what possessed me, I thought it would be a good idea to take up triathlons. Now, as a teenager and as a young adult, I did a fair bit of running. Uh, I love cycling, and so those two things were fine. I was pretty happy with that. Uh, swimming was going to be a problem for me. So I called up a friend of mine and said, hey, let's start swimming together. He's pretty good at it. Uh, and so I had to learn and had to get better. Now, he described the first time I went swimming with him, he uh, described my swimming technique as a bear drowning in jello. Right? So if you can imagine that, that's the base that I'm starting with. But eventually, week by week, month by month, I got better. And the thing about triathlons is that they take place outside. And so we had to do some open water swimming. And so we went down to Williamstown and decided to swim between the rocks, if you've ever been there before. Now, it's not a particularly long distance, but the thing about open water swimming is that it's dark. You can't see a thing. There's no, there's no lines in the bottom of the pool to guide you. You feel very, very alone. So if I just got to be taken down just a little bit. I can just hear some ringing. There we go. You feel very, very alone. And so my friend who is a much stronger swimmer than me... Have I been taken off now? Can you guys hear me? Yeah, yeah. yeah. all right, never mind. Perfect. We're in the middle now. So my friend takes off ahead of me, uh, and I, I lose him. Now, that, that, by itself, that's not a big problem. But when you're alone in the darkness, you, your mind starts to play tricks on you. And something that happened to me was I heard this buzzing, this, this whirring out of the corner of my ear. And the, the place that my brain went to is it's a helicopter. Why would a helicopter be there? Well, the only logical ex- explanation was there was a shark in the water, And the shark had got my friend, and the helicopter was trying to warn me. And you can imagine what happened is that my heart rate started to spike, and I couldn't swim properly anymore, and I was thrashing through the waves. And and in the end, I did this half doggy paddle, half breaststroke over to the nearest point of land that I could find, and just laid down on the beach, breathless, incapacitated, five minutes into swimming. Now... The thing was that the helicopter wasn't real. There was no helicopter. There was no shark. That's how powerful anxiety can be, is that it's overwhelming. My friend was fine. He kept swimming. I had to sit on the beach. I couldn't continue anymore. But that's the power of anxiety. Now, we see anxiety as a, a, mental, like a mental health kind of thing, right? Um, It's something that we need to work with, but actually anxiety is a good thing. It's something that you want to feel if wild animals are chasing you or you've lost your light in the dark. Like It helps you be aware of your surroundings. That's its point. It makes you hyper-aware, but being hyper-aware for a really, really long time is overwhelming. 
That's the struggle that we often face, particularly the last two years when we've not been in control of anything. We've been hyper aware of what's been going on with no ability to change it. That's overwhelming. That's kind of the situation that David faced in 2 Samuel. See, Psalm 61, the best scholars we have think that David wrote this when he was fleeing from Absalom. Absalom was his son. Imagine for a moment that your own son had taken the throne from you, kicked you out of the temple, caused you to flee. What would you feel? I think you'd be pretty anxious and overwhelmed. Not only did he have to flee, it says uh, in 2 Samuel uh, chapter verse 6, that Absalom stole the hearts of the people of Israel. David's own people loved his son more than him. They loved someone who wasn't the king. No wonder David cries out to God from an anxious place. And the story goes out and was wonderfully read to us uh, by, by Melanie. Uh, wonderful reading. Lots of, lots of difficult names. Uh, And comes to this point, Psalm 61, where David cries out in his anxiety, Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. David is in this state of anxiety, state of being overwhelmed, and he cries out to God with all that he has. Because the incredible thing is that we probably don't think very much of missing church for one week or two weeks. Life happens. We go on holidays. We get busy. It's fine. For an Israelite, that wasn't the case. If you weren't part of the temple, if you weren't attending temple, you're actually missing out on the presence of God. See, we have an understanding that the Holy Spirit is with us, that God's presence covers the earth, but that wasn't the case with Israel. God's presence was with the temple, with the tabernacle. And so if you were away from the tabernacle, you were away from God's presence. Now, many of us have that feeling of being distant from God. So what do you do? What do you do when your prayers seem unanswered, when it feels like the presence of God is far from you? Well, do you notice that when the presence of God feels far from David, his prayers get louder, not quieter? He goes, listen to my prayer from the ends of the earth. I've been banished from the place I want to be. God, I call out to you. I cry out to you. He's praying loud prayers. So when's the last time that you cried out to the Lord? When's the last time you sat in prayer with tears rolling down your face because you'd come to the end of yourself and said, God, I don't know what to do. I'm calling out to you. I need you. See, often what happens when there's an emotional absence from our prayers, when our prayers seem rote, just seem like I've said this again and again and again, is that we're not depending on God. We often just end up depending on ourselves. God is our plan B. I'll get this sorted. I'll get this done. And maybe God will come through. I'll make sure just to tick that box. That's not the case for David. David has come to the end of himself. There's nothing left to be done. There's no wisdom. There's no strategy. There's no, nothing he can be charismatic about or convincing about. 
it's over. I've come to the end of myself. I need you, Lord. Often the fact that there's an emotional absence from our prayers tells us something. And sometimes that emotional absence comes not because we're relying on ourselves, but because we don't think that God will actually come through. There's a level of distrust we have of Him. Maybe He doesn't hear my prayers. Maybe He doesn't care about me. Maybe I'm far from Him. The beautiful reality of this prayer is that there is not a place in the earth that you can be far from God. The, the earth is the Lord's. And so we can cry out to him wherever we are. It's one of the reasons I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. He says this, There are difficulties in which the true Christian is brought that no human hand can remove. There are times in which we are sighing after spiritual mercies. When we are groaning under withdrawal of God's favor. When our sins are hunting us like wolves. When afflictions are rolling over us like huge waves. When faith is little and fear is great. When hope is dim and doubt becomes terrible and dark. When we are far away from human help. But blessed be God. Even then we may cry unto him. You might have heard the saying before that God helps those who help themselves. Absolutely false. God is there for those who know they can't help themselves. God is there for those who have come to the end of themselves and call out to the Lord. Just like David. So David cries out to God and he particularly cries out to be led by him. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Now the interesting thing of this psalm is that if you just read it alone, you'd almost get the sense that David is alone. But we know from the second Samuel story that David isn't alone. That he's gone with his advisors. He's gone with his soldiers. He's gone with his servants. He's gone with all these people. He's not alone but it's not enough because they're not God they are not enough he needs God he needs God's presence he needs to be close to him and so he calls out lead me to the rock that is higher than I the image in my head is almost that of a shipwreck where waves have been cast against this ship. The ship is broken. The sailors have been sent into the waves. They've been overcome. Their life is almost at an end. They're tired. They're battered. And in the, small, the short distance, what they see is safe land, a rock jutting out of the ocean in which they can be safe. But the problem is the waves are too high, the waves are too strong, too powerful. They need someone else's hand to pluck them from the waves. That is the hand of God in this psalm. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. It says in other translations, put me on solid ground. I can't do it, my soldiers can't do it, my advisors can't do it. You can do it alone, O oh Lord. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. The thing about this rock, it has to be stronger than the person calling above it. 
If the rock is high, it must be more powerful. It must be more safe. It must be safe ground. Now, growing up, I had a lot of my friends tell me that they didn't believe in God. And you probably have the same, right? Lots of our friends, family say, I don't believe in God. And one of the things that I'd often ask them is, well, tell me about your God, because chances are I don't believe in that God either. Right? Because, and as they start describing the God who they thought I believed in, I'd say, well, that's not like my God at all. That God is small, and that God is faithless, and that God is careless, and that God is mean. That's not like my God at all. My God is faithful to forgive and mighty to save and loves his children and sends his son for people like you and me. That's, I don't believe in your God. I believe in this strong God who loves and cares for his people. Because the thing is, I think so much of our prayer life reveals that sometimes we believe in a small God too. We believe in a God who is maybe a little bit faithless, maybe a little bit careless, maybe a little bit, just, just doesn't love us like that. But God is not like that at all. God is strong and powerful and kind and merciful. He's good. I've used this analogy before, but one of my favorite scenes is in the Chronicles of Narnia when Susan asks the beaver about Aslan, the stand-in for Jesus, and she says, a lion, I don't know if I'd like that. Is he tame? And beaver says, tame, good heavens, no. But he's good. God is good. David knows this. He knows that there is no one else he can call upon. He says uh, these words in Psalm 86. You, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my cry of supplication. In the day of my trouble, I call on you, for you will answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. None. There is no one else like God in his character and in what he has done. God is good. It's what calls David to say this. You are my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Other translations have that you have been my refuge. What David is calling upon is the past goodness of God. He's saying, I know what you're like and because I know what you're like I trust you so Christian if you find yourself in the place where you feel anxious you feel overwhelmed you feel burnt out worn down like there's a heavy bag of books on your back because of the life and the world that we live in dwell upon the ways that God has been good to you. Dwell upon the reality that he has saved you, that he has brought you into his family, that he sent his son to die for you. Get yourselves into the scriptures. Stuff your body, your, your soul full of the word of God. Pray to him. Hang out with other Christians who remind you so that when hard times come, when the tough times come, what comes out of you is this deep abiding trust in a God whose goodness you not only know in your head but know in your heart because the tough times are coming whether we like them or not 
That's when we depend upon God's goodness. It's easy to trust God in the good times. It's hard to trust God when everything seems like it's falling apart. That's the point which we need to cry out, You are my refuge. So how do we do that practically? One of my favorite uh, verses in the Bible is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says this in Hebrews. It doesn't seem like a lot is going on. It says, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. That's all good. This is the important line. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. When you are overwhelmed, anxious, burnt out, what do you do? Look to Jesus. A couple of years back, uh, this is not me, this is three women writing, uh, so I look a bit different. Uh, a couple of years back, I was out riding with some friends and I was in a lot of trouble. I didn't feel very good and what I, I later found out is that I had a chronic gastritis, that there was all this acid in my stomach burning my body up from the inside. I was in a bad place and uh, the, the, literally we were riding up a hill called King Lake, which is in Melbourne's northeast. It's a climb of about seven kilometers long. Uh, it goes at five percent, so every, every hundred meters, five meters straight up in the air. So it's pretty steep. And I was about halfway up and I start feeling like I'm in a lot of trouble. Now I've got some options in that scenario. I can start thinking about how terrible I feel, but the only thing that that's going to do is lead me to feeling weak and powerless because I'm just about done. I'm in a bad place. The more that I think about how I am, I'm not going to finish. If I think about the mountain that's ahead of me, I'm going to be overwhelmed at the challenge. It's too big, too long. I'm not going to be able to get to the end of this hill. The only thing that I can do in that scenario is look at the wheel of the person in front of me. I'm not going to focus on myself. I'm not going to focus on what's ahead. I'm just going to focus on the wheel that's ahead of me. Well, Christian, it's the same thing in our life. There are going to be challenges that you face that are overwhelming, that will bring you to the end of yourself. And the more you focus on what you can do, the more and more anxious you will feel. A lot of the source of our anxiety, not all sources, but a lot of the source is that we believe that we are in control of our lives. And so when we discover that we're not, we're anxious because we try and change it and discover we can't. The more we focus on ourselves, the more anxious we become. Yet if we focus on the challenges out there, on what needs to take place, what we need to overcome, we're going to be overwhelmed at the immensity of the challenge. No, what we do is we look at Jesus. We keep our eyes on Jesus. We remember that He is the author and perfecter of our faith, that He started faith in us. He will see it through to the end. I don't need to worry about what might come. I don't need to worry about how little resources I have. I just keep my eyes on Him. That's the challenge for the Christian. We've had an incredibly anxiety-provoking two years. 
if you haven't faced anxiety, you probably have in the past. You, have, you probably have in the last two years, right? Look to Jesus. On top of that, we've had lots of other things go on, right? Families struggling, marriages struggling, friendships struggling, mental health challenges, loss of jobs. There's been lots of things out of our control in the last two years. Look to Jesus. It doesn't mean do nothing. It means that we start by casting our mind to Him, reminding ourselves that we need to be led to Him, setting our mind on Him. That's how we keep moving forward. That's how we make sense of this broken, messed up world. We keep looking to Jesus. Now, I don't know what you're facing at the moment. I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know what, you're, what, you're, what is going on in your mind. But I know for me that life can be pretty busy. And there's often not a place for me to cry out to God, or at least I don't make a place. And so what I want to do for the next couple of minutes is just to sit and be with God. Cry out to Him. Don't have to do it out loud. Just where you are, in your seat, in your mind, in your heart. Cry out to Him and hand to Him all that you're facing. Talk to Him, remembering that He is the rock, the solid ground upon which we live. Can we do that? Yeah. So let's spend two minutes doing that right now.